Okay, you clicked? Awesome. Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. It's your host, me, Michael Gao. I know it's been a little bit, but uh, second semester of college has been actually a little crazy. Um, lots more school and stuff like that. But I'm joined today again uh, by Sean. Sean, how are you? I'm doing fine right now, yeah. Yeah, it's also been a while for us, but how have you been? School been, school been all right? Yeah, um... Typical troubles, you know, uh, like early decision deadline was in November, which means that technically out of the clear for my ED application. Um, And then I'm sort of in that limbo between early decision and regular decision where like, you know, there is this sort of place where you can take a rest or you could immediately start working. But in that case, there's also school to worry about, which... I'm pretty sure most seniors neglect that in order to get their early decision apps done. Totally, yeah. I work so I was also in a very similar place to you where I also neglected school uh, for a semester of senior year because of college admissions. Um, but the benefit of doing all that is that you get your decision back early. Um, but I know Sean, you've been hitting up the Reddit subreddits, also thinking about it from your own position. I feel like a lot of people don't know what happens with their ED applications. Uh, Right. So the thing I've actually been doing is I know that ED at certain schools significantly boosts your rate um, of getting in. That's a pretty common piece of knowledge among like people in A2C, for example. At UPenn, that's the school I ED'd to. Um, If you look at the common data set, there's like a huge disparity. Um, and the way I've been doing things like, uh, at the beginning of the year, this year, I'm taking a heavy course load, of course, um, same thing as junior year, but you know, with college apps added in, um, so like in order to balance my time, I've just, uh, I've just been working in a lot of spikes. Um, and obviously maybe that leads to a lot of burnout, but I wouldn't assume so at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the how you work is is really, really important because here's what I did and here's what I think people should avoid. So before November 1st, I just worked on one EA application to Princeton. That's literally all I did. I mean, I did some scholarships, but the only college application I did was Princeton. And then when I got deferred from Princeton um, in, in December, I only had two weeks to do basically every single one of my other applications. Now, obviously I had the Common App done for Princeton, um, but all the individual school supplements I hadn't even touched. And that's a really dangerous place to be in. Yeah, so in this part of the college application process, my philosophy is, um, so deferring is not like waitlist in the sense that it's almost a rejection, but if you give, if you do get deferred and you haven't started on your college apps because uh, you probably you thought that you would get into your ED school, um, you're at the point where you you really have to rush your college apps, especially if you're applying to reach uh, a lot of reaches. Um, I know a lot of like kids that ED somewhere, um, like one of the top Ivies. Um, 
their college plan looks like ED to the top institution, and then if I don't get in, just shotgun all of the other IVs or something like that. Yeah. And um, that sort of plan, it, it's really common. Just like if you don't get into one school, then just hope that you get into all the others. But well, that was my plan. <laughs> for, That's what I did. Right, but for a lot of people, it doesn't end up working out because um, you know maybe you just don't hit that essay spark in one of the other RD applications that you're doing, and because they're all so rushed, you know. Um, maybe it is a huge possibility that all your essays come out generic that sort of stuff but again it's always unsure uh that you're going to get into your ed score or not it really you're, you're in that state of limbo between the uh, ed deadline and when you should actually start doing your rd apps like because in one on one hand if you do get into your ed school then there's no reason to do all this rd work um and and obviously that accompanies the fact that a lot of seniors like every single day right after click, clicking submit they're they're going from i'm totally gonna get in to i have no chance at my match scores <laughs> well i appreciate the students who even before the process were like i definitely was gonna get in because i i was not so sure i was not so confident but Totally. Like, I mean, I, I think what you said about rushing essays is so true. Like, in my experience, if you try to write an essay just, like, in one day and you have to submit it the next day, it's going to turn out to be a bad essay. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. So what I've actually done, like, for me, maybe it's a bit different. Um, it is true that I haven't really done anything since November 1st. Um, and I know my high school friends... Uh, well, I mean, I'm a I'm a junior at the moment. The seniors that I do know, they haven't really worked on anything since then either. But the major difference, I yeah. think, is that there are a lot of people who have worked on their ED app since, like, the summer, right? They either hired a college counselor to help them out. Right. Or they've just, like, checked it through all of their friends, revised it, like, 12 times over the course of four months. So they're really confident. Right. Um but I think this is a big reason, actually, why uh, kids end up shotgunning so many top schools. Like, even if they didn't plan to beforehand, um, you come across this position where you're really, really uncertain whether your essays or letters of rec are good enough for certain top schools. So you end up, you know, doing multiple top schools in the hopes that, you know, maybe one of these applications, unlikely as it may be, you actually hit something decent, like a spark of inspiration. And the more schools you apply to, the more chances you have of doing that and getting into a good school. So ultimately, like because of that, what I see is, um, <laughs> well, my, my personal philosophy on that is just get started earlier if you, if you can. Obviously, seniors, if you're watching this and you're in the same position as me, like you're not doing anything at the moment. The reason why I'm not actually doing that is because I got to catch up on my school studies. Um, a lot of seniors, they, they neglect yeah. it in the first semester, like right before the ED deadline. Uh, it's because you got to stay up um, if you haven't like finished your essays or you're really paranoid, keep on checking them 
with your like new AP English literature teacher this year or something like that. Like maybe they'll give some new insight that can get you into Harvard or something, you know? Yeah, I think that second guessing is something that is very natural to happen. But I, what I would suggest, and this is kind of my, you know, framework for mental health, I guess, throughout college admissions, which is that you can only control what you can control, right? At some point, there are things that you can't actually do anything with. Your teacher rec letters, those have already been written. You can ask your teacher to maybe edit it if they let you even see it. Um, you can ask new teachers to write them, but even then, that's like, how much difference will that make? A lot of extracurriculars, that's, that's done with. The really only thing you have control over are your essays. So instead of fretting over whether your letters of recommendations are good enough, you should be spending all your frenetic energy on college admissions on your essays, right? And if you're going to second guess anything, second guess the supplements you're going to send into schools. Second guess your Common App essay. Don't second guess the parts of your application that you can't actually control. And I think it's a healthy way to think about it because, and, and, and frankly, like the smart way to think about it, because if you don't take the time to spend on your essays, they're not going to be good. Essays need to be really well thought out and reflective. The whole point of a college application is to show off your personality. And you can't do that if you haven't really thought through who you are and, and what is your personality and what you what do you want to do in college and, you know, in some, some cases in the future in your life. And all that takes a lot of time. And what that means is prioritizing your focus and your energy and I, I, I guess on things that actually mm, matter. Now that you mention it, um, Stanford... You know, Sanford has so many supplements, mm -hmm. and uh, and yes, he has a California. A lot of well, I mean, it, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that every California kid applies to Stanford, like at least the mass vast majority of them. I've got to get started on those soon, but <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, but um, like a big misconception I see at my school, and especially other high school seniors, is. What does a deferral actually mean in terms of what the admissions officer thought of your application? And so what I see is there's mm, two ways yeah. like most people look at this, right? One, it's basically the same as a wait list. And, you know, the wait list for like top institutions, like out of maybe a thousand kids waitlisted, nine people get off the wait list, something like that. So basically rejected on that terms. But um maybe it, some people think of the deferral like as having a technical reason as for controlling the yield at certain universities but uh it seems like nobody actually knows um what the deferral means in terms of the admissions officer size yeah i mean i i think it depends on the school so there are certain schools that are going to wait list everybody or defer everybody from the early round and and there are very few rejections out of early so for example princeton does that um the most recent stats they released it's it's been a while since they've done this but the most recent they've released show basically almost everybody who doesn't get accepted gets deferred very very few people get rejected out of princeton's round which means that deferral doesn't have as, as much value as say uh, I think University of Pennsylvania, Columbia, Stanford are ones where if you do get deferred, that actually is a good sign. Not the best sign, obviously. The best sign is that you just get in, obviously. 
Um, but because they don't give out deferrals like candy, that means that you were special enough to get deferred rather than straight up rejected, which is what the majority of applicants get at some of these schools, the, the schools I've listed. So I think when you're thinking about whether your deferral means something or what the deferral means, you really have to look in the context of, of the school that you're applying with and the school that you're um, dealing with. Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess the right place to look at this would be the common data set. Uh, so for example, the university IED2, so UPenn. Um, UPenn is a strange case. I don't know actually a whole bunch about it, but uh, I know that UPenn has, or at least had a vastly larger ED acceptance rate than a regular acceptance rate. Not sure if that's the case nowadays, honestly. It seems like every college is nearing 0% nowadays. Um, but I know yeah. UPenn um, places a big emphasis on ED. Uh, they accept like a huge portion of their class out of ED, um, and it creates this sort of like class where, it, well, sorry, it creates this sort of university where they don't defer everybody like Princeton does, for example. Um, I'm not sure what Princeton does specifically, but it sounds like what Princeton is trying to do is control its yield rates um, year by year. Because it's, I think, I've looked at the cross-yield rates, it seems like Princeton loses a lot to Yale and Harvard. Where do the, where do you, do, are the cross-yield yield rates um, on I just the see them on r slash A2C from moderators. They post them occasionally. Um, I'm actually not sure where you go to find them. I'm, I'm pretty sure you could find them somewhere online, though. Some of them are definitely survey-based. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I don't think, it, I don't think, you know, the Ivies are going to publish who they lost kids to, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, but, it, but it does make sense as a reasoning for why they yeah, do Yeah, and it, it surprises me, you know, because even Harvard, um, well, I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a high schooler going through the process, but I'm, I'd be surprised that Harvard doesn't have a 100% yield rate or somewhere near there yeah i mean you know everybody has their reasons um <clears throat> you know think about a kid who's between harvard and stanford or something like that and they're interested in cs then stanford becomes a lot more compelling family issues money issues sometimes even at very generous financial aid schools it, it really does depend but I think it is an interesting thing to think about, about like the motivations behind schools' deferral strategies. And I don't mean to say that schools only care about yield, like admissions officers are not monsters. But what I will say is that I definitely see a case for yield being a reason why some schools defer more than others. Although what I will say also is that it could also just be schools honestly like not wanting to make a decision Right? Like you always hear the thing about, oh, this school, you know, needs an oboe in the orchestra, so they're going to let in the oboe. Right? I think that's what it means um, when admissions officers say that when you're deferred, you'll get your application read again, quote, in the context of the regular decision round. What that means is that your application will be read against all the other RD applicants and you'll be compared against them. And you'll and the school will decide, oh, 
I think you'd be a better fit at this school because we need the things that you can offer more than maybe the other RD applicants. So I think the other way to think about a deferral is just that, you know, you obviously weren't good enough to get in the first time. Um, so they just want to see if you're better than the other candidates they have or if you have a skill that they'll need at their school. Because if you think about it, RD is the time where they're kind of filling in those gaps. And a lot of schools, um, most of the class has been filled by ED people. I, not not most. I'll say I'll say some. I don't know the exact statistics on most versus some, but but that is what happens. And so already is kind of where admissions officers, I guess, fill in the holes of of the you know students that they don't yet have or haven't yet admitted from early decision. Or so early another question that I see a lot of people having is, um, I, people wanted to know why some schools like. Harvard, Yale, they switched to restrictive early action instead of early decision. Uh, do you know why that is? Uh, I don't think anybody knows, honestly, but I think we can pretty reasonably speculate, um, especially in terms of yield rates, I think is a good place to start. Um, I think if you let it be restrictive early action, it means you're non-binding, so it actually hurts your yield rates. But what you might see is because it's non-binding, you have more applicants, which brings down your admissions rates. So if you want to be like super cynical about it, I think there's a reason why restrictive early action would help with right. admissions and So rates. that brings me to my question about yield rates then. Like a lot of people, they go online and they see people posting stories about how they got accepted into, say, like John Hopkins or Vanderbilt, but they got rejected from their state school or something like that. And people call this uh, like yield reject or um, schools rejecting kids in order to save their yield rates. And do you think this is like true to like some extent at some universities? I mean, who knows? I'm sure it's it's not it's not impossible. It's not totally out of the realm of possibility. But it also could be the case that when people apply to their state schools rather than their dream schools, they didn't put as much effort into their applications. They didn't finish all the steps. They left glaring mistakes. They were rude in an interview. They were super snobby. Um, I it, it really does does depend. I think. Now, in terms of how admissions officers think about yield, you know, I, I don't know if it's a primary thing on their mind even. Like, I, um, maybe, maybe at state schools, but I, I will definitely say that I think all BIVs are fairly happy with your yield rates. I think regardless of what AOs do, IV yield rates will always be fine. Um, and, and and that's also, by the way, I think why it's Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford that has restrictive early action, because those are kind of your your basically top tier name schools. You know, like we can get into a conversation about prestige, whether it's good or bad, but at the end of the day, those are the prestigious schools, which is why I think they're more willing to just say, you know, we don't need to bind students to our school from the early round just because most of them will probably take us anyway if we take them. Show some confidence, I guess.
that they yeah, so deserve in essence that they can when have, i look at I guess is a what a deferral means what i get as a high schooler is that um when a deferral happens i should just treat the ed school as an rd school and take no guarantees uh do you think that's true then Well, like I said, it, it depends on the school. So at Princeton, my deferral was, in my mind, a rejection because everybody who didn't get accepted got a deferral. Only very few people got rejected. Whereas if you go to a school where you got a deferral where most of the people from the early round actually get rejected, that means the deferral has more value. But even regardless of which school you applied to early and which type of decision you got back, I would really try to move on because... A lot of people get crippled by regret, crippled by, you know, triple guessing themselves like, oh, maybe if I did this, I would have gotten in. So maybe I should totally rework my application strategy and, and rewrite an entirely new common app in the two weeks I have between when I got my decision and when RD decisions are due. And that's when the disasters start to happen, uh, because then you're kind of just in a panic mode making things up. Whereas hopefully you had a well thought out strategy going into ED. Um, and if that's the case, you don't want to change the strategy right before the game is about to end because that turns out badly because you're doing yeah. it in a panic state so rather than with time. Right after this like, deferral, your, your um, does that make sense? And you're actually doing your RD apps in, say, December, starting maybe Thanksgiving break or somewhere like that. Um, <laughs> hopefully now, yeah. Uh, I'll get on that. Since I'm applying to Stanford, hopefully now, definitely but, because of know. Stanford. But um, a lot of kids, they also <laughs> ask, you know, uh, questions about the college list even at this stage, because uh, some kids they get the reality check, you know, like I I don't have the time to actually apply to eighteen schools and Stanford. Mm. Um, I don't have time to shotgun literally all of the T twenties, um, and so. Yeah. Well, well, you know, one thing I do with my students is for the students that work with me on a full package, right? I take them throughout the process. I always start with a college list and I always make it reasonable. Um, the way I think about college lists is that I have one, the way I think about college lists is that we have one list that's like you have to apply to, right? These are your core schools. And then you have another list that's like, if you have more time, these are some other schools that you're maybe interested in. Um, so I think like starting early, preparing early, kind of knowing someone or that that's done this before, or at least having a plan in your own mind is super important. Now, if you're doing a completely reworked version of your college list now, I would please caution people not to be like, oh, I got rejected from Cornell. That means I'm going to be rejected from every single other Ivy, right? Because that's just not how admissions works. Admissions is very, very human. Like maybe the quality of your essays was slightly better than the other. Maybe an AO at the school that you're RDing to is slightly more friendly than the one you got, the school you got rejected from. Um, I would not kind of totally rework college list strategy just because of a deferral or a rejection from early. Okay. I would kind of stay calm. Um, as, so as the like other part question of, I you know, see to take actually is... is because people are getting on this time crunch um, when they're realizing their college list isn't sufficient, they, they cut colleges. Um, 
and a lot of them end up uh, cutting match schools. Um, because, and then you get to this situation where there are kids who are either applying to, like, it's either safeties or reaches for them. Uh, a lot of California kids, especially, because California kids, it's either a, some, a school in the UC system or yeah. somewhere in the Northeast. Um, and people complain about that a lot because uh, there are either, like, it's Ivy or nothing, essentially, you know? I think that's where the mentality comes from. Yeah, I mean, that's a... I mean, again, I think that's a problem with how people have structured their college lists and not really thinking through what they're putting on. Like, I think every single school you put on, there are even safeties and targets, or schools that if... that you'd be totally fine going with you know obviously you'd prefer to go to your reach schools but if those don't happen you'd be totally fine with going to one of the targets or one of the safeties i think that's that's number one is like proper planning resolves most of this now if you didn't properly plan uh and you don't you ran out of time and, and you have to cut something i would not cut your match schools because those are kind of the core, especially because what tends to happen is people have like two match schools because they overshoot their chances. So that's the case and you have very few match schools, you can't cut. What I would actually recommend is if there's a category of your list that's more weighted than others, cut from there. So if you have like 10 safeties, one match and one reach for some reason, maybe cut some of the matches, right? But if you have like one safety, one match and 10 reaches, then cut some of the reaches i would i would cut where your list seems to be most heavy so and if that doesn't a, help with your really list hard situation thing for some people to then swallow. i would cut like, the reaches um definitely like especially if maybe your family very much values education and you oh, have yeah. as you said 10 reaches one match one safety and like you could cut mit for example but there's also the chance that you could get into mit right and i know a lot of kids uh they apply mm. to harvard and the reason why they do it is just for kicks yeah like a lot of them joke oh i'm gonna apply to harvard to hang up my rejection letter on the wall and tell people that i apply to harvard uh what do you think of that idea Uh, well, you know, uh, I don't even have my acceptance letters anymore, so, you know, I guess I don't really understand people who also keep their rejection letters. Um, as for the whole thing about it being hard to give up, reach schools, look, I get it. When, when Princeton deferred me, I was distraught, like, I was, it was bad, right? So I get it, right? Like, you have dreams, you have, like... Asian, Asian tiger parents or whatever, high expectations, whatever. I, I totally get it. But if you are in a situation where you have two weeks left to the deadline and you just can't do all your applications, then you have to cut. And you have to be smart about what you cut. Because if you make the decision to cut all your safeties and matches and only apply to reaches, you might end up not going to 
any college. And I don't mean to be like crazy about this. It really is what happens. If you only apply to schools with like 6% acceptance rates, it is very, very likely that you won't get in anywhere. There are many people who get rejected from all the IBs. So I would I would caution people that if they're going to cut to right. make sure their um, list has I, sufficient there are, of safety. There is a nod to our international students especially because they're at that point where they'll only apply to schools with good financial aid. And unfortunately, in the U.S., a lot of those schools are top institutions. Um, there are very few maybe uh, state schools that'll give you full rights especially um and ivies uh although there are they are Mm. very very selective they will give entire full rights yeah well i mean even for international students it's is it isn't great at at ivy league schools as well um it's just like a hard position regardless of of ed rd type shenanigans for international students to be in it it really is um so i guess if i was advising an international student who's kind of in this situation and money is an issue for them I would encourage them to look at schools with scholarships for international students. There are some of them. These tend not to be big-name schools, by the way. So the University of Hawaii has great scholarships for international Asian students. UTD, University of Texas at Dallas, also does. Those are just the two that pop into my mind because I have some personal experience with them. Um, But just if you're an international student, trust me when I say, like, I understand how hard it is. Um, but my advice is like, you know, you know that you have a financial aid issue if you're an international student and need financial aid. So keep that in mind and try to look for schools that meet that criteria as your top priority. Now, if you're a wealthy international student, first hire me as your college counselor, gowanvisions.com. <laughs> but, you know, I think second of all, just if you're, if you're, if financial aid is not an issue for you as an international applicant, and your main goal is just to come to the U.S., I would apply the same types of tips I just mentioned, right? Being right. cautious. And for every student that's actually on this side of the spectrum, just there's to reaches. fewer, but there are still students on the other side. And so what I mean is you have these kids that, unlike the growing trend of people applying to 14 colleges in this season, there are kids who apply to maybe like five. So... Um, maybe they early action somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe their safety schools don't require supplements. And then they end up with a lot of additional time on their hands. And that, it's at that point, maybe they're looking, and I see this a lot in A2C as well, there are kids that are like, I still have two yeah. weeks, I'm done with all my apps. Is there anywhere I should consider applying? Besides, you know, a random random MIT or a random Harvard app. You know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, I would tell those students to not just shotgun schools, 
because you don't want to apply to school that you wouldn't be happy at. So still do some research and make sure you'd be comfortable going to those schools. The second thing is I would take a look at your college list and see if there are, are any deficiencies. So for me, when I finished kind of my core applications, I looked and saw, wow, I had applied to a lot of reaches and I needed more kind of match schools that I'd be happy going to. So that's what I spent some of my extra application time on. Then last, but certainly not least, if you still want to apply to more after kind of filling in deficiencies in your list and also doing research if there's any other schools that kind of fit your preferences, then I would last, but certainly not last and definitely least, just shotgun schools. If you if you if you kind of exhausted all other options and you still want to apply to more case schools, then shotgun. But that's like right. lowest and tip. So like look, lowest priority, this point, last desperate uh, option. Other high really schoolers do to too. More schools. Uh where after your E D deadline, November first for a lot of competitive schools, is there a point? Is there any sort of need to change anything in the comment app? in terms of like your activity descriptions it might be that maybe an interviewer was like put off by something Mm. um and like you had extenuating circumstances that you recently really needed to clarify because maybe your interviewer took note and was like um you know your interviewer mistook a grade that like a c you got in your sophomore year as being because you were lazy, right? So is there any need to change the activity section in the common app in preparation for already deadlines? Yeah. Well, you know, typically interview, I mean, I I understand the question, but just like to talk about that scenario, interviewers typically won't get grades. Oh, okay, I see. They'll typically just get your name school and contact information and you might bring a resume but but that's only if they ask really um yeah but but you know the the other part of your question makes a lot of sense which is like should you change things in your common app and the answer is it depends right so if you're doing it rationally and logically yes but what often happens is people just panic and they're like oh my gosh that didn't work let me completely rewrite my essay in two weeks let me scrap the essay i worked six months on and write a new one in two weeks And obviously that will not work. Now, if you reflect on your application and you do see ways that you could have made it better, then yeah, absolutely. Maybe there's new accomplishment between when you applied early and when you are applying regularly. That's something to throw on there. Um, If you have new grades from maybe the first quarter of senior semester, add that onto your your application if your application asks for grades. Um, And even then, you can still make tweaks to your Common App essay. Um, if you're strategic about it and you're like, hmm, maybe if I change this part of the Common App essay, it'll fit in better with my my supplements, that's fine right. too. As long as you're right. doing lastly, it rationally, like now that you mentioned that, and not just doing um, if it you in win a any new awards, for example, I think that's or do key. anything noteworthy in the time after the ED round, uh, how do we contact? How do we contact them? to let them know that we've done this award and obviously it would be to email them um right but does it actually make a difference if it's something like i won a local writing award you know
Yeah, I mean, so I mean, this so I mean, if you've been rejected from an ED school, you've been rejected. You can send an email, but your problem it's not going to do anything. If you're deferred, there is something called a letter of continuing interest, and and I think we can talk more about that when decision decisions actually come out. But in that scenario, then I think writing a letter would be useful, even if you you don't have any significant updates. At least writing a letter of continuing interest that literally says, "Hey, I still love your school so much. Let me in," can be helpful. So we can talk more about that then. I mean, I local writing contest second place maybe is not going to make the difference but there even if you don't have accomplishments right. you can still and write a so letter for our that really that distills like down your interest and makes you seem like a more i hope by this point candidate. you've realized that you ought to work on your rd apps right now <laughs> mm. right and obviously there is a huge yes. consequence right now stop listening and, and start that, typing you know your apps will be worse but you will miss out on schools even uh we mentioned before that a lot of high schoolers end up cutting up cu cutting out sorry schools out of their list because they don't have the time to apply to some of these reaches and uh, like contrary to what we said earlier um you know ivies there's no guarantee. Even if you are rejected from Cornell, that doesn't mean you're rejected from all of them. So failing to have the time to submit an application to a school you want to go to, but just didn't have the time to do it, that's that's missing out on a potential college acceptance right there. And that's why, uh, well, actually, I'm sort of a hypocrite. I do need to get started on my Stanford apps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now is the time to start. And we definitely should be. Yeah, you need to get now. started, Sean. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, that was our episode on you know what happens after your early decision applications. Um, I do a lot of work, obviously, in college admissions counseling. Um, the link to my website is on the website you're listening to this podcast right now. If you need help with essays, if you need help reflecting on your early decision applications, please feel free to let me know, or you can drop a question in the Contact Us form on our website. But yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and Sean and I will see you next week.